Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Kids, you guys can be dismissed. Thanks for hanging in here with us a little bit longer today than normal. We're glad you guys were in here to worship with us and hope you have a great time in kids' ministry today. See you later. Hey, it's good to see everybody. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, we're thankful that you're here today. And if you have your Bible, we want to celebrate God's truth. Turn to Psalm chapter 130 this morning. Psalm chapter 130 is the passage we're going to look at together today, and, uh, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But let me ask you a question. What is the most difficult thing you can remember having to wait for? Uh, do you anticipate some things in your life, things you had to just wait for? If you remember uh, waiting to turn 16 so you could drive, anybody remember how long that seemed like it took? Uh, Learn, you know, like just waiting on that process to come about. Uh, maybe you had to wait longer than you anticipated to get married or to have kids or, uh, or something along those lines. Maybe you've had to wait to get some test results back, whether that was from a doctor or professor. Both of those are really scary kind of things, right? <laughs> Am I going to pass this semester or not? Do I have some kind of terrible disease or not? Like, I don't know what's going on. And having to wait in the middle of those things. There's just this crazy anticipation that builds as we wait. Uh, and when we think about some of these things, they always bring us to a place where we have to wait and it's painful. Do you remember glass ketchup bottles with cold ketchup in them? They never came out, right? And Heinz made a whole thing about it. It's best good things come to those who wait. I hated waiting on those things. I am so happy. I want to give a hug to the man who created the squeeze bottle that you turn upside down and let it sit on its face in the refrigerator, right? So you just use it, grab it, squeeze it, ketchup, right? That's how it's supposed to work. Uh, and so in, in all of these things that we look at, we go, we wait, we wait, we wait. We don't like to wait in our culture. We, we don't like to do that. We want everything to be really fast, if you want to watch a movie right now, you go home today, you just stream it into your living room. Do you remember having to drive to Blockbuster <laughs> to get a movie? Like my kids are like, tell me about Blockbuster, Daddy. That's hilarious. <laughs> I know. They get impatient when we're going, I'm going to download this movie. It's a two-hour movie. It'll take 30 seconds to download. They're like, we got to get faster internet speed, Dad. This is taking forever. I can't believe it, Dad. Like, can we get some faster internet going here to download Amazon Prime quicker? Like, I want to just have this now. I need it now. And anticipation builds when we wait for those kinds of things. A couple of years ago, we got our kids uh, an Xbox One for Christmas. And if you grew up in gaming as a kid around my age, you remember just having to, what'd you do? You put the cartridge into the thing, you pushed power, and you played the video game. Not anymore, right? Anybody gaming now? We didn't know this when we bought our kids an Xbox, but you put the disc in and it has to download for hours, right? And my kids on Christmas morning are like, we want to play our video games. And we're like, you can after lunch, it'll be waiting for you then, right? Like, and every game you have to download and it takes hours upon hours and you're just like, wait for it, you know? And it's awful to be in that place where you have to wait for something. And yet, as Christians, we are a people who are called to wait. 
and knowing how to wait, we're waiting for the return of Jesus. We know that Jesus has come and he's promised to come again. And in the meantime, while we're in this period of waiting, these 2,000 years between his first advent, his first coming to earth, and what we anticipate for his second advent, his return, his second coming, we're waiting. And we need to know how to wait. And so we learn how to do these things. And the whole season of Advent, what we're talking about is that you learn to wait with hope and with peace and with joy and with love and in faith. We learn to wait, but it's important to know how to wait. And so this morning, we're talking about this idea of waiting in or with hope. And so in the Greek and Hebrew language, there's much more nuanced words for these things about what does it mean to wait? What does it mean to hope? Uh, and the idea in Greek, or excuse me, in Hebrew especially, is that these two words are tied together. Waiting and hope are almost synonymous with one another. And so to get a richer, more full sense of understanding about what that looks like, I want you guys to check out this video that will explain a little bit more in depth the word hope from the Greek and the Hebrew. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. 
So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. And so again, I want us to look at Psalm 130 this morning and get an understanding of how we wait in hope for the coming of Jesus. So check out this passage with me. Uh, Start in verse five. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. Yes, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Now, we didn't read the entire psalm this morning, but if we had gone back and looked at the first verse, you would see that the psalmist is crying out to God from what he calls the depths. He's in a bad spot. He's in a place where it looks dark and hopeless. And so he's in this middle of this chaotic moment of his life and he's calling out to God. And after a little while, as he's writing in the depths of his hurt and his despair, he starts to come back around to the idea in verse five that when all looks hopeless, he knows who to look to and what to say. And so in verse five, he says, I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. So he's going to wait for the Lord to intervene. And in the meantime, it's not a sitting back, twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing kind of waiting. It's an anticipatory waiting. He says, I wait in the Lord. My soul waits for him. And in him, I put my hope in his word. So he looks back and he says, the way that I'm going to make it through this dark place in my life is I'm going to go to the promises of God. I'm going to look to the word of God. I'm going to look back at everything that God has promised and fulfilled And I'm going to know that I can look forward to my future and know that everything God has still promised and yet to fulfill will happen because God has been faithful to his past promises. We can trust that he will be faithful to his future promises. And so he waits in that moment. He takes hope in that. He recognizes that God has done the things promised in the past. He'll take hope in the things that are coming for the future. But look at what he says in the final verses. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. And then he says, Israel, put your hope 
in the Lord. He could just as easily have said Christians because we are the Israel of, of God in this day, in this time, in this place. Because we are the fulfillment of what God has done. So Israel, followers of Christ, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. So I wanna give you a few things to just write down this morning. If you're taking notes on our app and wanna fill in some blanks or if you like to write some things down. The first one is this. One of the keys to hope is waiting in anticipation of something better that's coming. It's waiting in anticipation for something that's better that's coming along. He says, I want you to hope in this like the watchmen who are waiting for the morning. And so when he talks about that, he says it twice. He reiterates this. I'm waiting for the Lord. More than watchmen are waiting for the morning. More than watchmen are waiting for the morning. Why does he say that? What is he talking about in that? There's two ways you could potentially think about that. Number one is he's talking about it from a military sense, that there's a watchman in a tower on a wall who's looking out over the city or beyond the city into uh, the, the void outside of the city. And he goes, the watchmen are waiting, they're watching, and they're looking for the first ray of dawn. They can't wait throughout the watches of the night to see the sun start to rise. Why? Because it's much easier to guard and defend the city when you can see the enemy coming, right? And he goes, they're waiting for something better than the darkness. They're waiting for the light to come so that they can see if there's enemy that's prepared to attack them. And they can pre pre uh, prevent that. They can fortify the city and be ready to go to battle if necessary. So it says the watchmen are waiting for the morning. The second way to think about that would be from the perspective of a priest who would be waiting for the light of dawn to come so that they could begin their daily sacrifice. And it would be a time of reminder for the priests to remind the people as they participate in the sacrifices. This is what God has done to provide for us a way to be in right relationship with him, in fellowship with him. And so on some level, the priests are waiting for the light of day and saying, when we see the light, we know it's almost time to go back into our daily sacrificial system and, and help provide uh, ex hope for the people as they experience relief from their sin by having their sins taken forgiveness through the sacrificial altars. And so in that, we look forward to Jesus. You know, when Jesus came along, he took the place of all of those sacrificial system. He was the better thing that they were anticipating and looking forward to. That in Jesus's death on the cross, when we think about why does it matter, like Cliff was talking about a little while ago, why does it matter that we see Jesus on the cross. What is it, the significance and the importance of his resurrection? And by the way, the thing that Cliff is gonna do later this year, early in January, February uh, of 2020, man, that would be something phenomenal for you to get involved with and participate in. Uh, when I was in seminary, systematic theology, which is basically what he's gonna be doing, was one of the most important, fundamental, uh, foundational things that I, that I took in seminary. Uh, it would be mightily important. If you're a younger person, 20s, 30s, something like that, you would really benefit from being able to go through the class that Cliff is gonna offer this year. So I would encourage you to do that. But when Jesus Jesus came, he fulfilled all of the sacrificial system in himself. His first coming, his advent, was to fulfill the law and take away the need for that sacrificial system because he came to be the ultimate sacrifice. And so now we wait for our salvation to come. We enjoy salvation from him through the blood that was shed on the cross, but we're waiting in anticipation still today for something better, to be with him, that he is going to return again and come back for his church and when he does that, we're going to have fellowship with him that will be unfiltered. We'll be face to face with God. We'll see Jesus. We'll be with him. We'll worship him in perfection. And we're waiting for that day. So the first key to hope is to wait in anticipation of something better. The second key to hope, another key, is the object of our hope. 
And what you see the psalmist say there in Psalm 130, he tells us, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And here's why that's so important. Again, if you're taking notes, just write this down. This is so important because what fills us controls us. The things that fill us control us. Right? And so when we look at the world, this is why Advent is so important. We need to be filled with hope, to be filled with love, to be filled with peace, to be filled with joy in increasing measure so that we don't look to find fulfillment in things that are going to leave us empty. The world is always going to try to offer things to us that just leave us discontent. All of the promises that the world can make, whether it's through money or relationships or sex or drinking or alcohol, drugs, whatever it is that you think is going to fill you and take a a spot in your life that's going to make things better because it's always, always, always going to leave us emptier than it will before. And here's where it's tricky because initially some of those things can fill you. That for a little while you might go, you know what, this does feel good. I do like this. I do find pleasure here. I feel great about this, but ultimately it's going to leave you still with a hole in your life. It's going to leave you unfulfilled. And so when I think about this, I think about my kids right now and how our culture disciples us to be discontent. Uh, My kids have an advent calendar that they're waking up every morning to do. It is a Marvel superheroes advent calendar because we're super spiritual in our house. And so, uh, you know, don't judge me if you're a super Christian and you've got the really cool Christ-focused advent calendar. Ours is focused on superheroes and villains. And so every day they get up and they go downstairs and they open this little box, this little window in this thing, and they pull out a little action figure, a little Marvel action figure. And they're just excited every day. Like my oldest son is waking my younger son up and being like, you got to get up so we can go open the advent calendar. Right? And so they run downstairs, they open it up, they see what they're going to get. And then my son, the other day, he pulls it out and he goes, dad, I just wish we could just skip past today and be right back at this moment tomorrow to open it up. And then as soon as we open it up, we could skip to the next day and get the next one. I'm just ready for the next thing. And I was like, thank you, Marvel, for providing a teachable moment for my kids here. This is awesome. I said, son, this is exactly what Advent is meant to stir in us. This anticipation. This is where we find the word in Hebrew, kavah that we're waiting in that tension of wanting something. And it's so anticipatory that we're waiting until it just snaps. You go, when you want to just wake up and can't wait for the next day and they're talking about it all the time, what are we going to get? What's it going to be like? What do you think is coming next? It's just that moment of tension that they're waiting for in anticipation. They're rushing to it. And I said, guys, this is exactly why Advent is so important. It teaches us to remember that we're waiting as Christians in that same sense of anticipation, stretching us to want Jesus to come back and be with us forever and us be with him forever. That's the beauty of what we're celebrating in this season. And yet we're waiting for that. We're waiting with kava. And so our culture fills us with anxiety and dread, fear and worry. And we're constantly barraged with the idea that we don't have enough. And what's gonna give you hope is more. More money, more relationships, more stuff, more technology, more of whatever it is in your life that you just go, I think I would be a little bit happier if I just had more. Anybody just needs more time? Like whatever it is that you just go, I need a little bit more. And we think and we're discipled by our culture to be discontent because none of that stuff is ever going to fulfill us. 
we're only satisfied and truly fulfilled with those things when Jesus is at the center of them. And that's why the psalmist says we wait for the Lord. It's in him that we have our redemption. It's in him that we rejoice. It's in him that we find purpose. And so here's my encouragement to you. Again, if you're taking notes this morning, just write this down. When you need hope, go to the source of lasting hope. When you're looking around in your life and just going, it seems like there's despair. It seems like there's darkness. It seems like nothing's going to get better. My life kind of has this downward spiral right now. I don't really have peace. I don't really have joy. I don't really experience love and feel that. I just need hope for those things. When you need hope, go to the source of lasting hope. Here's what uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, listen, if you want hope, go to the source of it. Go to the God of hope who brings peace and who brings joy. Through him, you find love, enduring love. It's a peace, it's a joy, it's a love that's never going to fail you, never going to let you down. So I want us to go back just for a few minutes and revisit the meaning of the word hope. Most often in our culture, when we talk about hoping for something, it's a fingers crossed. Oh my gosh, I hope that this is going to happen. I really just, I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I'm just hoping. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, this word hope carries with it the kind of idea that there's a, a waiting for something that we desire with confident expectation. That we're waiting with hope that's a confident expectation. The hope is not cross your fingers, oh my gosh, will it or want it. The hope is I have confidence that because God has promised, this will come true. My hope is in him. And so again, if you're taking notes, write this down. And they said something like this in the video that we watched a few minutes ago, but biblical hope is not optimism because it's not, uh, it's not focused on circumstances. Hope comes from a person. Hope comes from Jesus. And when you know Jesus, you find a better hope, a lasting hope. When you find Jesus, you discover all that he has for you that's life-changing, life-altering. He says, that's the kind of hope I want you to have. It's not a hope based on your circumstances. It's not even optimism to go, you know what? Things look dark, but I'm just believing for something better. It's not optimistic. He goes, even if you think it's not going to get better, you still have hope because Jesus has come to rescue you from your sinfulness if you don't recover from the illness that you have, if you don't get a better paying job, if you don't get everything fulfilled in your life that you dreamed about in your youth, he says it's still okay. There's hope because of who you know and who your faith is placed in. So the thing we hope for and long for is the return of Jesus. And this hope calls for patience, reminding us that the fulfillment of our hope lies in the future. But this isn't supposed to be a sitting back, doing nothing, waiting for Jesus to come, just like, well, I'll just sit here until he comes, right? But we've been saying all through this series that there is a place for us in the waiting to be active and engaged and involved. And you go, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be following the commands of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, love your, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. In doing these things, you keep all of the commands, all of the laws. So let's go be people who love like crazy in this world during this season of Advent. And then Jesus' command to us, his final command to us, go and make disciples. 
teaching them everything that I've shared with you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and know that I'm with you always until the very end of the age. So it says, we do these things in anticipation of his return. We love like crazy to shine the glory and the light of God into this world. And we disciple people to be fully mature as followers of him, to know him, to trust him, to love him, to walk with him, and to be obedient to him. And so the question always comes up, why in the world is God waiting so long to send Jesus back? Why does he just send him already? It's been over 2,000 years. Hasn't that been enough time? Like, what is God waiting for? I'm just ready now. I feel the tension. I feel the stress of the cords pulling and wanting Jesus to come back. And he's not here. What is God waiting on? And I think Peter gives us some really good perspective on that that I want to share with you this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, the promise to return, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So what's his promise? His promise is that he is coming again to return and judge evil, to bring an end to the darkness of sin and set up his eternal kingdom. But he's not slow in doing that like we think about it. He's being patient. What's he being patient for? His desire and his patience to return is that so more and more and more people throughout the world will discover hope in him. He's waiting for us to do what he's called us to do, to take the gospel into all of the world. And as people hear the gospel and respond to it and lives are changed and communities are changed and cultures are changed, he says, as I'm waiting for that and as I'm seeing that happen over the earth, it's good for me to be patient and prolong my coming so that more people have an opportunity to be with me forever rather than being condemned to be separated from me forever. That's why Jesus is slow in his coming as we understand slowness. It's a process of waiting for us to do what he's called us to do, to fulfill his commission to go into the world and make disciples. We're waiting for Jesus to return with the understanding and the promise that the longer he delays, the more people have an opportunity to become disciples. So let me ask you a question today. What's your hope in? It's the same question that Joey asked a few minutes ago as he lit the Advent candle. What's your hope in? Are you hoping in that paycheck? Are you hoping in your health? Are you hoping in the the relationships that you have? Are you hoping, what are you hoping in? And she goes, as long as I have this, everything in my world is ordered and is okay and I'm good. But if those things are pulled away from you, do you have genuine hope? And where we need to find hope as followers of Christ is in the person of Jesus. He's our savior. He's come to offer us his joy, his peace, his love, his blessings. And he does that as we hope in him, that we wait in him, that we anticipate being with him and that being with him is going to be far better than anything you have in this world that being with him will be fulfilling to you in a way you've never experienced before. So here's the last thing is if you're following on our outline this morning and taking notes, Christian hope looks back and it sees God's fulfilled promises in the resurrected Jesus in order to look forward to the promise of the return of Jesus. God has promised. Jesus has promised. If I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to be with me where I am. 
And as we look back at the promises of God and we see all he's done to fulfill his promises, countless promises in the Old Testament, countless promises in the New Testament, and as we see God fulfill those things, we can look again at this promise. Will Jesus return? Will he come for us? If we die before his return, will we be with him? You see all of these promises fulfilled in the person of Jesus who says yes to every promise that God makes. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is the yes and the amen of every single promise of God. So the hope we have is our faith in Christ that allows us to look forward to the return of Jesus, knowing that he will come and fulfill his promises because we look back and we see how God fulfilled his promises in the past. And in that, my brothers and sisters, we take hope. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.